And we came to a very familiar Mother's Day message. It's Ephesians 4.28. And it says this, He who steals, steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Doesn't that warm the heart of moms everywhere? Well, we're in a series on the book of Ephesians, and it's called Better Together. And in this particular passage, we're going to incorporate the love that we have for moms and learn from a mom in particular about this journey. But before we get there, I just want to highlight the fact that we do have an outline. And for those of you who are analytically oriented in your brain like I am, it is helpful for me to see the organization of the flow that God's Word has. And frankly, the organization that Paul has here is he's got a negative message, don't steal. He's got a positive message, work hard. And he's got a reason for it all. So that you have much to be able to share with anyone who has need. So we're going to break it down and look at the negative and the positive and what we need to understand. The negative part is this. Don't steal anymore. Don't steal. The, the word, I'm always intrigued by the Greek language and the Hebrew language when we're in the Old Testament. But the Greek word for steal is klepto. We get the English word kleptomaniac. So don't be a kleptomaniac. And, uh, you know, when Paul says that and we preach it on Sunday like today, I'm not, there's not a, uh, a molecule in my brain that thinks there's one of you that was thinking about robbing the Union Bank over on Newport Avenue in Tustin. And because I said this and read this, you have changed your mind. I don't think there's anybody who's going to do that. But we know that there are other subtle ways that we might steal. And I'm, I'm burdened by something I need to share with you now to kind of get off one of the low moments in my life where I create, I committed, I broke in, I stole, and I got away with it. So I'm going to confess it to you right now. When I was in junior high school, my friend Tim Eaton and I were scrounging around Bethany Bible Church where we grew up. And it was a storage room, and we broke into the storage room. And in the storage room were these wonderful little communion crackers that were homemade. I love those communion crackers. I couldn't wait for communion Sunday. And we broke in, and here's my confession, we stole from the communion shelves of Bethany Bible Church. I mean, that, I don't know why we weren't struck by lightning, but we stole it, and we enjoyed a little snack. I'm a PK. That was my dad's church, see? I'm the PK. I'm doing these things. And Tim's dad is an elder in the church. I mean, how more corrupt can we be? (laughs) And my dad heard about this. So he brought Tim in. So my dad and Tim, Tim, he's he's a tiny little guy, at seventh grader. And he says, Tim, I understand you stole from the communion crackers. Tim said, yeah. And then he asked Tim this. Was David with you when you did that? And to this day, Tim said no. Can you believe it? I only say this now because my dad's in heaven. Uh, Otherwise, I wouldn't have the nerve because it might get back to him. So now I can finally confess my, my sins and Tim's sin as well of lying about it. But, you know, it's funny... We were talking about this this last week, and that, that memory came back to my mind as we had a little staff meeting about some of these things. And isn't it interesting, these little tidbits of life, 
that get lodged in the memory bank and then suddenly you're up there to preach about stealing and they come right to the forefront of the cortex of your brain and they begin to create this guilt complex. So I'm glad to be able to get it off my chest. I just want to let you know that no one's perfect here. I know I'm playing. This is like silly, silly stuff that a lot of people struggle with much more significant things. But every, everything in this realm of stealing is important. So let me show you levels of stealing that maybe we don't think about, but they are part of what God says. For example, we have employers. Do not steal. Employers don't steal. One of the things that God says in his word is this. We go way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25, plenty of others I could have picked on. He says, as God determined the constitution of the nation of Israel, he said, here's one rule that you should have as a businessman or woman. Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. That's pretty straightforward. So as a boss, as an employer... We want to handle the business dealings of life honestly. And I remember, you know, and I've never been a business person, so many of you have stories that you could tell better than mine. I have to go way back when I was in my college years. And I used to, uh, I was a door-to-door salesman. And uh, back when people would actually answer the door and be home. And uh, I sold books. I sold books door-to-door. I sold a big family Bible. Medical book, Nave's Topical Bible, Children's Bible, and uh, a health book. And I was in North Carolina, Lillington, North Carolina. Anybody from Lillington? Uh, yeah, it's 1,100 people. And uh, so a tiny little town outside of Raleigh and tobacco farms all over the place. And I'd sit there in the living room and show her the big family Bible and talk to Mrs. Jones, and she'd have a little spit tune off to the side, and she'd be chewing her tobacco, you know, like that, and, oh, the smell. is just a, oh, I love North Carolina people. And so, so I remember I would take the order for the book, and then I would come back, and I would deliver the book, and then uh, she would, she'd already paid me, and she'd trust me to bring the books back. And so I remember going to two different neighbors, one side by side, and I brought the one book back to her, one book back to this other woman. When I went to the other woman, she got in my face and she bawled me out. And I was a little taken back. I said, you charge my neighbor one dollar less for her book than you charged me for my book. You cheated me. And I still remember how I felt. I thought, wow, did I, did I do that? And I thought back, well, wait a second. Now, she bought the medical book, and you bought the children's book, and the children's book is $1 more than the medical book. And she said, oh, okay. So she had sat there for a whole month thinking, I am a scoundrel who has stolen a dollar and, you know, different weights, different uh, dishonest measures being dished out to her. And as a result, she felt so badly that she also bought the medical book that she didn't buy with her neighbor's I don't know why that story comes to my mind. I was just interested in it and thought you would be interested to hear me tell it. But it reminded me how important it is in my own conscience that I should be pricked. It should disturb me if I am dealing dishonestly as an employer. We abide by the rules that God puts before us. Sometimes we want to steal from government. 
Romans says, For because of this you pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoted themselves to this very thing. Render to all who is due them, tax to whom taxes due. April 15th, and I guess the 18th, has now come and gone. But it burdens me sometimes to pay my taxes. Because like some of you, I get burdened by a government of inefficiency and values that I can't support. But what God says is to pay taxes to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. And then even Jesus gets in on it, and we know this in Matthew 22, that he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And obviously it's not literally Caesar for us today, but it is the governing authorities that he now says by application we should support to the things that are God's gods. And hearing this, they were amazed, and living them, they went away. We need to be honest in some of the subtle ways that we would try to cheat government, certainly on our taxes. I remember I sold my Mini Cooper a few years ago, a little red Mini Cooper some of you knew about. And when I sold it, I had it on Craigslist one day. And one day this guy shows up and he says, I want to buy your car. He says, I have a daughter. And I asked her, if you could buy, she just turned 16, just got her driver's license. And she said, if there was one car that you would want in this world, what car would that be? She says, I would like a red Mini Cooper with a white top. I had a red Mini Cooper with a white top. He told me that, and I knew I had him. <laughs> and so, so he started, you know, he, he went down $3,000. And I said, no. He went down $2,000. I said, no. Went down $1,000. I said, no. Take it or keep it. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. I'm staying fast on my price because I knew in the back of his brain he's not going to disappoint his 16-year-old daughter. Come on, don't say those things when you're going in to buy a car. And so, uh, <laughs> and so he finally bought the car for the price that I wanted to sell it for. And, uh, yeah, I was hard-hearted, but, you know, it's on day. Craigslist for one day. I had time. And so as we're filling out, you know the, the thing you fill out on the pink slip? And then if you sold a car, you know, you fill it out and you put an amount. They trust you. The DMV trusts you. You put on there the amount of the sale of that car. And then you take that to the DMV. And then the DMV trusts that the amount that you put on there is actually the amount you paid because they're going to tax the life out of you on the amount that you said you paid for that car. So this father says to me, you know what? I know we sold, you sold it for this amount, but how about we put on the pink slip this amount so I don't have to pay so much tax? And I thought, oh, this could spoil the deal for me. And I didn't have to think long. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Here's the amount we sold it for. This is the amount we got. And he says, you're killing me. And so he said, you're killing me with this. Well, how about this one? No, you're killing me, he's kept on telling me. I say, well, I hope you don't die before we get this thing done and get your money. <laughs> and so, so finally we put... But I, it, it just hit me, right? There, there are these very subtle little ways we steal by configuring things that are in a dishonest way. I know it's simple. It's simplistic. But it's these subtle little ways that begin to erode the faith and the fiber of our integrity and our own conscience for doing what's right. It's a challenge. I'm not saying I'm perfect in this whole life that I've lived, but these are constant reminders to me that when Paul says, do not steal, this is one area. This is one simple little way. 
And there may be bigger ones, stories you could tell. Don't steal from your employees. In Jeremiah 22, it says this, Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness, and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay, and does not give him his wages. Pay honestly those that you have employed. James 5 says, Look, And it's like James says, I'm going to get your attention on this. Look, behold, check this out. The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. That's powerful. These, this agricultural community, you've hired people to mow your fields to take care of your crops. You didn't pay them and they're crying out to you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That's powerful. You know, that's, that's strong language for, well, I didn't pay him as much as I should pay him. No, it's crying out to the Lord Almighty. God is serious about this. And let me just honor someone who's no longer with us, but help me to think about this, because I appreciate our elders and our leaders. He was once an elder, Bob Vandevere. He was once an elder here at Calvary Church. He's graduated to heaven now. I remember sitting down with Bob many years ago and as a businessman, a successful man that God blessed in his business uh, abilities. He says, Dave, we need to have a contingency fund here at Calvary Church. A contingency fund? You know, I, I don't know. It's just like foreign language to me. What does that mean? We need to have so much in the bank that is on reserve and available that if Calvary Church should fold tomorrow, we should stop existing tomorrow. And we just no longer are Calvary Church Santa Ana Inc. That at least we have enough money to pay our employees all that they deserve. And so we built into our budgeting process a contingency fund. And he said it's a matter of integrity. That if we say that our employees are going to be paid, they're going to be paid. And we're not going to back down from that. And that's the integrity that we want in our church and how we handle things. We're audited every year, and things are inspected. I've got to turn in receipts that are $5 for a taco at Taco Bell. And the auditors come, and they make sure that wasn't an extra little $5 for me personally, but it was actually a reimbursement for a couple of tacos. I mean, that's how, to me, anyways, I don't want to go down that road. But it's that kind of integrity. And, and I appreciate Bob and his, his ability to help us to think, We owe folks who are working here. We owe them what they have earned, and we won't cheat anyone. So we work hard at that. We're not perfect, but we work hard. And just a reminder, these are ways that we subtly can steal from one another, but there's also sometimes we steal from God, and this is even more convicting for me. Notice what Malachi 3.8 says. Don't steal from God. Don't steal from others. Don't steal from God. Will a man rob God? And then God says to his Jewish people there in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, just before uh, the Old Testament closes and 400 years of silence from God, around 400 B.C., God says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And tithes and offerings. You are a cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in the house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of the heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it flows. And so Malachi is 
a prophet preaching to the people in 400 B.C. after they've come back into the land, after they've been desolated by Assyria and Babylon, and now the Greeks are going to come in, the Persians. And so God says, I want you to remain faithful to me, God, and I've given to you orders on how you should give to me, God. And they had three ties in the Old Testament. They had a tie that would go to support the religious structure of the Levites, the priests, and all of them. They had another second tithe that would go for all the festivals that they have throughout the course of the year. Then they had a third tithe that was given, another 10% was given, to support the poor people in the community of Israel. So they actually had three tithes. And these people are holding back on God. God says, this is what I ask of you, but you're not doing it. And when you don't give to me the way I have asked you to give to me, it is like you're stealing from me, God says. I don't want you to rob from me. He says, in fact, some of you think, well, I can't afford to give to you according to the principles by which the biblical mandate is to give. I can't do that. So God says, okay, okay, you see, you can't do it. Well, let me, let me throw this out. So he says, you bring all your tithe in. You, you just do it even though you think you can't do it. And he says, so that there may be food in the house. And then I underlined it. Test me. Test me on this. Just see if I'm not the God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-providing. So don't have little faith. Have faith in a big God. And test me on this. So... One of the challenges for us is not just, you know, do we fill out the pink slip right and do we pay, you know, our employees correctly, but it gets down to the core of who we are as people that we want to be biblical and correct and obedient. And God says, I want you to handle this properly. So don't cheat me. And then there is the right way that we should give money. But rather he must labor with his own hands what is doing what is good. Here are the five quick things on why we should work hard. We do good by working hard to reflect the grace of God by doing more than is required. Here's just five things. Why? Work hard. Tomorrow you go to work, work hard. Why? By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. I work hard at work, so the grace of God is evident in my life. Paul says, I work harder than anybody. I labored more than anyone. And when people ask about that, it's the grace of God on display. Secondly, so I can share the gospel more freely. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship among you, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to you, we proclaim the gospel of God. When I work hard and labor hard, it opens the door that I can freely share about the gospel because they see there's something special about me. That I'm not, a, I'm not a sluggard. I'm not a lazy one. I'm not lacking in diligence in the work. So the gospel can come forth freely from me. Thirdly, to be an example of an orderly life. I should work hard tomorrow at work. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to attend to your business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. I ask you, Paul says, to work hard, attend to your business, labor with your hands, so that you are a display of an orderly life. And everything is being provided for. So work hard. Work hard at that. And sometimes we hate our jobs. We hate our bosses. That happens. Paul says this. To this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and 
roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil. We toil working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we bless. Paul says it's hard work. It's hard work when I am persecuted and improperly treated and the boss doesn't appreciate me and I hate my job. But Paul says, work hard. That's his calling to us. To labor hard so I can freely share the gospel. To labor hard so I can make God's grace known. To labor hard so I can be on display of an orderly lifestyle. These are values of hard work that God invites us into. It's not the sum total of all we do in life, but when I'm at work, I am at work. I am ever-presently there and on display. And the reason we do that is so that uh, we can have something to share with someone who has need. Now, I'd like to transition. This is Mother's Day, and there's not a lot that I said that is particularly specific to moms. It's, it's really to all of us. So I invited Shannon Reese to come up here. She leads and our women's ministries, and so thankful for what Shannon and our women do here at Calvary Church. I wanted her to share. She is a mom. She is the daughter of a mom. Mm. <laughs> and she's got two wonderful boys and a terrific husband. And so I wanted Shannon to come and share. What does it mean to be able to share with others from a mom's perspective? So let's welcome Shannon. Come on up here. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks. Well, I feel like so many of those things that he mentioned about working hard absolutely can be um, applicable to us as mothers. As we think about working so that we can share, I think about the fact that um, as moms, it's our job to teach our children to share. How many of you learned how to share from your mom? Hands? Yes? Most of us, probably those were the first um, early messages, lessons that we learned from our moms. I think about even sitting in the playground with my own children or um, on a play date. I have two boys, they're 15 and 18 today, but when they were toddlers and young, I remember having them playing with Legos and even with one another saying, but you need to share, you need to share, and trying to teach them what that meant. And yet the responses that I would get from them were things like, well, I don't want to share, right? I just don't want to. Or, well, he didn't share with me. Why do I need to share with him? Uh, Responses like, well, if I share, then I'm not going to have what I need when I want it, when I need it. And yet God called me to teach my children what it looked like to share. Sharing isn't just taught, but it's also caught, right? It's modeled. And I need to remember that as the teacher in my home for my children, I need to model for them what it looks like to share. In Luke, Jesus says a pupil will become like his master, will become like his teacher. And I know that if I'm not modeling sharing for my children, that my children most likely will not be good sharers. So it's important that I don't just teach them to share, but I model what it looks like to share. And yet, it's hard sometimes to share. I'm so glad I have good models of what it means to share with others. I grew up in a Christian home with an amazing mom. And I saw every day living with her, much like the pupils were living with their teachers, their rabbis in the New Testament, I learned from my mom who discipled me and what it meant to share. From the earliest of days, our family opened our home to young girls, teenage, uh, young adult gals who were in need of a home. And they moved into the extra bedroom and became part of our family. My mom shared her time 
her mothering, her wisdom, her encouragement, a seat at the table to these gals who otherwise wouldn't have had that. And in doing that, she modeled sharing for me. I also remember sitting with my mom on the couch as she modeled what it meant to share her time and her friendship with a dear friend who battled cancer for about 10 years of my childhood. She shared kindness, encouragement with our dear friend. But I'm also grateful to be part of a church community like this, where so many of you have modeled for me what it looks like to share. Whether it was Ellie Booker when I was in third grade here at Calvary Church, she was assigned to me as my prayer partner. And what that meant really was that I was going to go ahead and just live my life, but there was going to be another older woman in this church who had just about finished raising her children who decided to invest in an eight-year-old little girl. And she would call me, and she would pray for me. She'd pick me up and take me out for ice cream, invite me over to her house to bake cookies. She shared her life with me. I think of Shamir and Parr who as a young mom, I found myself having lots of questions. And Shamirin had four children of her own, so she was super experienced and super wise. And in our young, married, young family life group that we had at the time, Shamirin and her husband came in and said, we want to share our lives with you. And so they opened their home. And I remember vividly sitting on the floor with maybe eight or ten other moms in a circle, our babies laid out on blankets, and Shamirin just asked us questions, shared from her own life experience what it was like to be a mom. She shared her wisdom with me. So then, having two kids of my own, I did my best to model for my kids what it looked like to share. But honestly, it was hard sometimes. And I think part of why it's so hard is because the nature of sharing means that we give something away and we end up with less. Right? You never share and end up with more immediately, do you? And don't we want more? We live in a world that wants more. We're people who want more. And yet we're called to share. And that usually means we're going to end up with a little bit less. But because of the teaching and the modeling before me, I do feel like I've had the opportunity to share and to model for my kids what that looks like. Whether it's sharing a meal with a family in need, Maybe it's sharing a part of our home for ministry. A couple years ago, we had the young adults group meeting in our home every Monday night because we believed that God had given us a home that we should be sharing. And so we did that. Now, please don't applaud me because I struggle every day with this lesson, as you probably do as well. Um, I want to be selfish, like my kids that I taught to share. I sometimes want to say, but it's mine, Lord. Why do, why do I have to share? Or what if what I share doesn't come back to me and I'm in need or I'm in want? It's a struggle to share. I'll confess one, um, one moment not too long ago when it was a real struggle for me, and I'll just be really honest, because sometimes God asks us to share um, from a place of sacrifice, where if we give up, we're going to end up with less than what we really do need. And sometimes, I believe God calls us to give even out of our abundance. We have more than we need, and yet he asks us to share from our abundance. I love to cook. 
I love to have people in our home to cook for, but I also love to teach other people to cook. And one young mom here at the church um, is a gal that I've been spending some time with, and she wanted to learn how to cook. And so I invited her over one afternoon to learn with me how to cook a bunch of meals. Now, in my selfishness, I'll admit that one of the things that was very important to me is that we would have a real good... um, Uh, list of what we're going to make and how we're going to make it so that I was going to work hard so that I could put a bunch of meals in my freezer for my family. That was my goal. But I was kind of cloaking it in this righteousness. Like, okay, I'm going to share my time with her. I'm going to share my recipes with her. And, And legitimately, I did want to share those things with her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to share my recipes with her. I wanted to share what I had learned about cooking. And we had a lovely time together. But in the back of my mind, there was this little efficiency gene that I carry around, this maximizer type person that said, wow, I get to share all of this with her and end up with a freezer full of meals, right? And for a busy person like me who's working really hard here and at home, I thought that was just a win-win, Well, we'd just about finished making all of our meals together, and my husband walked in, and he is such a godly, giving soul. (laughs) And the first words out of his mouth were, oh, it looks amazing. How much are you sending her home with? (laughs) And can I just be really honest and say that I wasn't really thinking that. I was thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm banking all these freezer meals that I can pull out that are going to make my life easier. I had an abundance, and yet I was having a hard time wanting to give any of it up. I want to encourage us today that we need to be sharing, not just out of our sacrifice, but also out of our abundance. And when we think about what that looks like, I can't help but think about our Lord Jesus And the fact that God himself, our heavenly father, he loved us so much that he shared his son with us. You know, in my kitchen that day, those were the words that were ringing in my mind. God has given you so much. Why is it so hard to share? And I did send her home with meals. But I'll be honest, this week as I was prepping for this morning, there was a little bit of conviction in me because I should have sent her home with more. And I think as moms, sometimes we share easily. And sometimes it's a little bit hard. But I so believe that our God in heaven uses those moments to help refine us and shape us and make us even more holy, like him, and more loving toward others with each opportunity that we're given to share. Happy Mother's Day to you all. I know you're working hard, but work hard so that you can share and be a reflection of the Lord to the people in your life. Thank you, Shannon. It's not easy for any of us, but God calls us into that world. And for moms, I want to thank you. One of the great Proverbs that uh, I've often preached in the years past for Mother's Day. Is that Proverbs 31? It's the the impossibly perfect mother. (laughs) It's it's hard to preach that because it's so, like, perfect. Uh, But one of the things that the mom then hears because of her work, whether it's what Shannon was sharing or or a variety of ways that uh, a lot of moms work hard 
40, 50 hours a week in a job, and then you've got to come home and still do the mom job at home. So we know there's a variety of ways that happens, but the Proverbs say, Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And one of the best gifts we can give, and it's no, nothing out of your wallet, <laughs> nothing out of your wallet, is to simply remind your mother that you are the best. You excel them all. There is no comparison. You are not in a competition. There is no one else that I'm looking to, wife, mom, children. You are number one in my life. And that's what the Proverbs is saying, as simple as that is. So we invite us to into that world as well. I'd like for us to pray again and thank the moms that are here, but also uh, in light of all that Paul said here, we're going to receive our offering today. And it's simply an offering. If you're a guest here, we don't put any obligation on you, but it's an offering opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I, I am here for you. I have worked hard. I have been blessed by you. I have been provided for. And as Shannon was sharing, as Paul says, we're here to share. And it comes out of a heart that loves the Lord. I never struggle, I never struggle to give to my children. I got a text yesterday, Dad, I need whatever. And I said, you bet, I'll help you with that. That's never a struggle. Why? Because that relationship is built on love. And God invites us as a family to that same relationship. I never struggle to give to God. Why? Because I love them. I want to be part of what he's doing. And my little part can maybe make a difference somewhere. So we invite us into that kind of realm of serving the Lord together. And if you're a guest today, we don't put any obligation on you, as I said, but also we have this thing called the card that's in the chair rack in front of you. We'd love to know about your life and if there's anything that we can pray for, you can put that on that card. We'll support you if any questions you would have about Calvary Church and the ministries here and ways we can come alongside and support you and some of the things maybe you've heard or seen uh, today. We'd love to have the opportunity to do that as well. So take the card, drop it in the offering bucket, and uh, then we'll continue to worship you. So let me pray for this. Father God, thank you for the gifts that we receive, that you have blessed each of us with. Father, many here work so hard, and you provide for them through that. And uh, Lord, we're grateful for those who give faithfully and generously out of a love for you. And uh, God, that it's not a burden. It's not something they grudgingly do. We don't want that. We want something that comes and is just motivated out of a love for you and to recognize how you have provided for us so well. Thank you, Father, as we give these gifts to you now and for the generosity of your people to share at this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.